says one chapter how to survive a poisonous snake bite how many of you just love snakes you can come forward at the end of the service <laughs> i don't think too many love them how many have ever seen a poisonous snake in person like i mean like in the wild out in the, not in a zoo or something but do you how many have ever been bit by one anybody well that's good how to treat a bite. If you do get bit by one, you wash the bite with soap and water as soon as you can. Makes sense. And then you immobilize the bitten area and keep it lower than the heart. I thought that was interesting. And the reason is it says this will give or slow the flow of the venom down. It doesn't, you can't let the venom reach your heart. You need to get medical help as soon as possible. And then a startling statistic was listed. I, I would not have thought this, but... 8,000 people are bit by venomous snakes every year just in the U.S. 8,000. 12 people on average die every year from being bit by a poisonous snake. Thus, the conclusion, a poisonous snake bite should always be considered a medical emergency, so it's no joke. They give a couple other things about first aid and getting the venom out of the wound if you can. They give a number of things about what not to do and how to avoid attacks. They said the best way to think about it is just leave all snakes alone, period. I thought that was pretty good advice. Job certainly, if he had a worst-case scenario chapter in a spiritual sense, it would be how to survive a satanic snake snake bite. In fact, interesting, in the Old Testament, there are 18 times that Satan is mentioned. Did you know 14 out of those 18 times are in Job chapter 1 and 2? In other words, if you want to see the real snake at work, the original serpent, Job 1 and 2 is the place to look. As I read this chapter, and I hope you do as well this morning, um, the author wants you not just to understand what's going on and the facts of all of it, but to feel it. Imagine this. Imagine this. There's a phrase that is mentioned in the text three times, and it says, while he was still or yet speaking. In other words, you're supposed to understand not only these tragedies and how it would impact your life and how you would feel, but what if they came on the same day? Chapter 1, verse 6, it says, and also chapter 2 and verse 1 start was, and there was a day. Imagine having all of these things that I'm going to mention to you that you've read already this morning happen to you in your lifetime, over your lifetime. That would be one thing. But imagine all of these unbelievable tragedies happening to you in one day. Not only in one day, but literally right after another, one after the other. So the snake bites first his oxen and his donkeys and all the servants. Now this is equal to money. Animals were possessions. Those were money. It was how you made a living. It was really the equivalent of how you were measured, whether you're rich or poor. So in one day the snake bites his oxen, his donkeys, 
and it's lethal venom because they die. In fact, every one of these episodes concludes with, and I'm the only one left, I'm the only one who escaped to tell you about it. So everybody else dies. One person remains alive. That's it. And then his sheep are snake-bitten and the servants, and it's lethal. Lightning comes down from heaven. They call it the fire of God and kills every sheep he has. All gone. So all of his wealth that made him the greatest man in the East, according to the first five verses, everything that he built for his entire life, as far as his finances go, gone, literally up in smoke. And then the snake bites again, the camels, and all the servants that took care of them, they are bitten by the snake, it's lethal, they're gone, three bands of Chaldeans come, they steal everything, it's gone. And if that wasn't enough, the Bible says that his sons and daughters were feasting together and a wind came, some sort of tornado of such sort, wipes out the entire house and all of his children, all ten, listen to this, ten of them die in one day. Job chapter 2, which we didn't read, goes on to say this. Not only did he lose all the possessions and all of the people that he valued the most in life, and then he himself is snake-bitten in chapter 2, and he loses his health from head to toe. He's covered with boils, and he sits and scrapes himself in a heap of ashes. Can I tell you, that's some powerful venom. All in one day, he loses everything. And I wrote down, how in the world do you survive such a worst-case scenario like that? Well, according to the handbook, you can't let the venom get to your heart. See, that's why I prayed for Eric and Katie when they had the helicopter flight Friday night to bring their child to the hospital. I prayed, Lord, there, there's a lot of snake biting going on here. Don't let the venom get to their heart. I texted them to say, you know what? Love your son, but love God supremely. And that's hard, isn't it? How do you survive with Reddit's Dakini when your, your brother dies? When you're waiting for the doctor's diagnosis of whether it's cancer, and if it is, how serious it is. Knowing that you have surgery coming up and don't know what the outcome would be. Don't know how long... As a result, you really have to live. How do you survive days like that? Well, the manual says that you got to know a couple things. Number one, you got to know there's more than one kind of snake. I didn't tell you this, but they were talking about poisonous snakes. And at the end, they said, by the way, there are snakes that aren't poisonous to, when you're bitten by them, but they can kill you other ways. Pythons become 20-foot snakes, and they squeeze you. And I want you to know today, even though we're talking about a worst-case scenario, this one's backed by Satan. Not all of them are directly initiated by him because there's other kinds of snakes. See, there are just kinds of snakes in life that bring pressure and things that want to squeeze the very life out of you. See, there's those kinds too. And don't think that there's a demon or, a, or Satan behind everything that goes wrong in your life, but there is true. There are poisonous snakes and Satan is real. So the question lies before us, how do you survive when you're bitten or squeezed by a snake? We found out in our survival toolkit that we need perspective. We learned that from Joseph. We need dependence. We learned that from Jacob. And what Job wants to teach us and the tool he wants us to put in our survival toolkit 
is wisdom. I'm defining wisdom as the skill and ability to navigate through life's problems. And Job has a skill. He has a survival ability. And I'll say it honestly, that very few people, even of God's people, have today. In fact, it's so crucial. It's absolutely foundational to all the other ones. And in that sense, we might have taken him first. And that wisdom skill has two parts. That wisdom is fearing God. The Bible calls to fearing God is the basic foundation of all wisdom. Proverbs 1.7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom, it says, and instruction. In the very book that we're in this morning, Job 28.28 says this, Behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. In other words, you want to know what wisdom is? Here's the starting block. Fear God. Fear God and turn away from evil. That, it says, is understanding And whether you realize it or not, the book of Job is a wisdom debate. Everyone who comes into the storyline of this book claims to have the right wisdom that you should use when you face worst case scenarios and suffering of your own. Job's going to give you his view. Job's wife's going to give you her brief view. Job's three friends are going to tell you, and they tell Job, no, this is the wisdom you ought to use, Job. This is how you ought to see it, life. And then there's God. God, at the very end of the book, is going to tell Job and his friends, listen, this is the wisdom. And and let me tell you this, not all wisdom is good wisdom. You know that, right? Let me say it stronger. Not all good wisdom is God's wisdom. There are many sources of wisdom around you and I every day competing for our acceptance. But they're not all good ones. There's the wisdom that says when you face worst case scenarios that you, have, you are just a victim and you ought to think that way. Some wisdom tells you in our world, even amongst Christians today, that it's okay to be, to be angry with God for letting these things happen. Or there's the woe is me wisdom that I could just feel sorry for myself all the time. Or, you know what, I should be upset and bitter about it because, you know, truthfully, I don't deserve this because I'm trying to do my best and this is what happens. There's the pity party. There is the suck it up by your, and try to pull yourself by your bootstraps and just get through it. There is no emotions, just let it go. And there's feelings that rule. I mean, all of those are various approaches to how you respond today to your worst case scenarios. And at the heart of this wisdom debate is the question, of course, who is really wise? Who has the correct insight to know how you should respond to your suffering? The scriptures don't leave us hanging. In 1 Timothy 1.17, it says this, Now unto the king eternal, immortal, invisible, listen to this, the only wise God. Literally, It says, the God who alone is wise. So who is the source of wisdom as Christians that we should turn to in our worst case scenarios? Well, it's God. The answer is God. God is the only one that has wisdom. And thus the scriptures say in Proverbs 19, listen to this. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The Hebrew word beginning either means first in a line of sequence or source. And the idea is, listen, 
If you want wisdom, if you came to church today and say, listen, I need someone to tell me how to get through this circumstance and how to survive it, then you should come to God. You know why? Here's why. Because there is no wisdom apart from him. There is no true wisdom without knowing God and having a relationship. Here's what it says. God says this. You want to have wisdom You have to fear God. You have to know him. You have to have a relationship with God. That is first thing. And if you're here this morning and some people come to church kind of as a last ditch effort because there may be something in the church that can help me get through these issues and fight through the consequences of some of my unwise choices. Can I tell you this? You won't be able to use God like that. Because here's what God says. The first thing you need in your worst case scenario is to know this. You need to know him through his son, Jesus Christ. You need to realize that that's the beginning of it. Four times in our text. Four times the Bible says in verse 1 of chapter 1, verse 8, verse 9. Look at your text. Chapter 2 and verse 3. Circle them. It says this. There was a man in the land of Uz. Verse 1, whose name was Job, that man was blameless and upright, circle it. He feared God, verse 1. He feared God, verse 8. Verse 9, chapter 2 and verse 3, God repeats it the second time through the second difficulties and the second day of the worst case scenario of his life. Here's what is known of Job. Here's what characterizes his life. He fears God. That's Job. What is the fear of God, Pastor Walker? Well, I think it's better described than defined. Job's life does a great job of describing, by looking at his life, about what it really means to fear God. Some say it's respect for God. Some say it's standing in awe of God, a reverence for God. I have found, in reading all the passages about the fear of God, that none of those are quite adequate. Rather, it's a breathtaking, awestruck view of God. Not one that makes you fearful of him to the point where you run away from him, but rather run to him to the point where you're so in awe of God that you want to do what he says, and we call that obedience. The fear of God completely changes your view of knowledge and understanding. Some would say it like this, the fear of God is foundational to every issue in your life. So let me make it really practical. The fear of God gives you the wisdom to view life and knowledge from the right perspective and then use that knowledge for the proper ends. You can see it all the time in life that there are two people who may may possess essentially the very same knowledge or the very same set of facts, but they use it in completely different ways. And the difference is the fear of God. Let me give you an example. There are two surgeons And they both have gone to medical school, they've both been trained, and they are highly skilled. One of them, who fears God, uses his surgical skills to save lives. The other one is an abortionist, who has no fear of God in his life, and he uses those same skills to take life. The difference is wisdom. The one knows God, and the other one does not. Two scientists... Same education, perhaps at the same university, looking under the microscope, using the same equipment. One fears God and becomes a creationist and sees God's hand and purposeful design in all of life. 
The other one, no fear of God, not a creationist, becomes an evolutionist. Sees God's hand and his purposeful design in none of it. And even denies his existence. Two astronomers, both the same education, both look through the same telescope, looking out into the same universe, have the same facts. One believes because he fears God and understands that the cause of all of that and things I'll never see is a big God. The other one who becomes an evolutionist and understands that the cause is not a big God, but a big bang. Completely different. Now, they have all the same information, same equipment, same facts. The difference is one has the fear of God and the other doesn't. Two auto repair shop owners. They both live by this truth. Honesty is the best policy. They both do that. They both do very good work. But the one lives that ethic out because it's good for business. Because he doesn't fear God. The other one, the Christian, he fears God. He doesn't just say honesty is the best policy because it's good for business. No, because his form, first priority is to what? Please God. See, it's different. See, n- n- let me tell you this. Now bring that into our situation this morning. See, two people going through the almost identical worst case scenario in their life. And one, because they fear God, responds this way. Job says, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. His wife, in chapter 2 and verse 9, looks at her own husband. Listen, listen, same marriage, same family, supposedly same God. Right? She says, do you still hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. Job's response is, bless God, blessed be his name. His wife says, curse God and die. How's that possible? Because the difference is wisdom. Wisdom in the fear of God. All throughout Proverbs, replete throughout Proverbs, are little phrases like this. Don't be wise in your own eyes. Right in your own eyes, pure in your own eyes, clean in your own eyes. Because here is our tendency as human beings, even Christians at times. Here's what it is, is to use our own wisdom. Use the wisdom that is popular or prevalent around us. And in doing so, so many times we reject God's wisdom. In fact, I would tell you this morning based on scripture that the rejection of God is the rejection of wisdom. See, can I tell you, I looked at Job's wife and I said this, be careful. Here's a real weakness of teenagers, that you think that your, your friends are smarter than your parents. It's unwise. Can I say this? It's foolish. See, God gave you parents and put them in authority over you. Be careful because just because you're friends, it does not make them wise. Listen to this. Just because you're married to someone does not make your spouse wise. Right? Go to God first. Compare everything that you're going through and how to respond to his word. 
So whether you're a teenager, whether you're an adult, or whether you're a single, do not just accept the popular wisdom or the prevailing wisdom of how you should date and what sexual purity should be all about and the things that you should watch and the movies you should view and the books you should read. See, there's a prevailing wisdom, but the real wisdom is God's wisdom. question is, Pastor Walker, how can I know the difference between the two? Can I tell you in all the passages, and I listed four of them for you, that every time it mentions it in Job 1 and 2 and in other places in the New Testament, I mean Old Testament and New Testament, including Proverbs most of all, that you cannot get away from this reality that fearing God always has an ethical capacity to it. And by that I mean this, there's character involved. See the words that accompany fear of God in chapter 1, verse 1? It says, he is blameless, he is upright, and listen, he turns from evil. See that? Job has character. And I would tell you this, the most dangerous thing, the most important thing that you can lose in your worst case scenario is your character. They used to say that character or or trials make you... I would say they reveal you more than anything else. Character. And that's why all these words put together numerous times describing Job's life, they are not disputed by the Satan. When God says Job has this and lists off these character traits, Satan doesn't argue with it. He doesn't say, oh no, he doesn't fear. When God says, listen, no one fears God. There's none like Job in all the earth. I mean, Job fears God more than any person on the planet. I mean, there's no disputing the fact that he fears God, and with it, he has character. He does, he departs from evil. He doesn't try to get close to it. He doesn't try to mollify it. Listen, he doesn't try to take it easy and think he can handle it. That's not Job. Wisdom says, the wisdom says that you need to cut corners in your business to get ahead isn't the wisdom of God. The wisdom that says that you should cave into cultural pressure, i.e. recently seemingly Chick-fil-A, who cut out their Christian charities because they got so much heat and can't build Chick-fil-A's in certain places because now they're being opposed by the LGBTQ. That's not God's wisdom. Wisdom that includes disobeying your parents' authority. Can I tell you, young people, that's never God's wisdom. Never. Wisdom that says that you need a new husband or wife because your present one doesn't really meet your needs. And by the way, you don't really love them anymore anyways. That's not God's wisdom. Wisdom that says that you should date lost people growing up and someday when it comes to the crucial decision of marrying someone, that you'll marry a a saved person and make the right decision. That's not God's wisdom. Wisdom that says that in your worst case scenario... That because you've been treated so poorly by others, you deserve to indulge a little bit in your own sin to get some pleasure in life? That's not God's wisdom. The wisdom that says that you can question God's sovereignty and doubt whether he really loves you or is trustworthy, that's not God's wisdom. I read the text many times this week, and I asked myself the question, why does the author of the book of Job, choose to point out that the example that Job feared God and what he gives us the example of how he did it was his family. 
about sacrificing and caring about his children and whether they had sinned against God. Why was it not that he, how he handled his money and success? Because he had a lot of it. I mean, he would be a big-time businessman today. I mean, he was wealthy. Why wasn't the example given that he feared God and here's how he uses money? Why wasn't it how he handled his sexuality, that he was very popular because of his power? A lot of women were after No, it never says anything like that. Why not how he helped the poor and used his money to help those that were mistreated? He doesn't say that either. You know what it says in verse 5? That he sacrificed for his children. He cared about whether they sinned against God. That's what it looks like when you fear God. The reason is this, because what the author wanted to do was not to express so much about how Job viewed his family, but about how Job viewed his God. You know what matters most to someone who's really got their life together? Their family. Your kids. How they turn out. See, that's the thing that you do behind walls where nobody else sees. It's private. It's, it's to you and your family most of the time alone. And here's what God wants you to know about Job. Listen, he is blameless and he's innocent and he's virtuous. He has character. He fears God. And let me tell you this. Even when you're not looking at him, even when it comes to having a major disagreement with his wife about what is wisdom, even when it comes to the death of his children, can I tell you this? Where it mattered most in his life, in his family, that was true of him. And so when he loves his family and puts them in their proper place in his life and cares most about what matters most to God, their spirituality, when he loses them, when he loses them, see, he's not losing the most important thing. You know why? Because God has always been most important. So see, fear of God is two parts. It has an outside part, an external part, and it affects your character and your behavior. But Satan's question is this about Job, listen, and about you and me. Well, okay, God, I'll give you the external part that he fears you. But in verse 9, here's what the Satan asks. Ready? Verse 9. He says, does Job fear God, what? For nothing? In other words, yeah, externally he worships you. Externally he obeys you. Externally he looks like he has the right attitude and the right actions. But what about on the inside? Job fears God, but Satan wants to know this. Why does he fear God? Fear God and have wisdom in your worst case scenario is not, hear me, it's not just about how you act or respond in your worst case scenario, but why you act and respond the way that you do. Job fears God on the outside, but we're going to find this out. He also fears God on the inside. And he does not fear God for something. That's the insinuation. See, here's the little bit of a formula. Satan says this. Yeah, Job blesses you because you bless him. See how that works, God? You give him stuff, he gives you glory, right? But here's the alternative, Satan says. How about you curse him? Can I tell you, here's what, here's what Satan would say. You curse him, he'll curse you. You take away stuff, it'll take away his worship. He won't fear you anymore. And you're going to know this, that that fear of God stuff on the outside was just a fake. It was a sham. 
It was just a ritual. He did it mainly for his own personal pleasure and so others would think stuff about him. But when it comes down to reality, God, you take his stuff away, you take his family away, he will curse you to your face. Can I tell you, your worst case scenario this morning, the suffering that you might be going through and the difficulties you're facing, they are a showcase for you to show off God's infinite value and worth. Even, even when you lose it all. Even when you don't understand why God allowed the snake to bite you and your family. See, worst case scenario wisdom fears God even when you can't find God. Worst case scenario wisdom values God even when you can't view God. Worst case scenario wisdom treasures God because he's God, not because he gives you anything. See, for Job, fearing God on the inside means I worship God, I value him supremely, God plus nothing. Nothing. Can I illustrate that? Real life. Abraham has waited with Sarah, his wife, for 25 years to get the son of promise. And I thought about Erica, Eric, I should say, and Katie. I'm Katie and Eric. I got it right here. He has his son Isaac, and their son is named Isaac. And God has asked them, after waiting for 25 years, and their son has probably grown up to be a teenager. So 35 to 40 years have gone by. And God says, I want you to sacrifice your son. Abraham responds immediately and obeys and takes Isaac out. And he lays him on the altar, ties him up, not really knowing why God would ever ask him to do this. See, it's hard to identify poisonous snakes sometimes. He lays the knife to his son's throat and God stops him. And in Genesis twenty-two twelve, listen to this. Here's what God says when he sees what Abraham is willing to sacrifice when asked to. He says, stop, don't kill this child. Listen, for now I know you fear God. Now I know you fear God. How did he know that? Seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. You see what he's saying? He said, you could have gone through the motions you could have put him on there. But listen, when you actually were going to cut his throat like an animal because I told you to, here's what God says. Now I know it's real because as much as you loved your son and waited for your son and he's everything in your life to you, when you are willing to let him go, you have just put on public display that I mean more to you than he does. See, the most precious thing in his life, now I know that you fear. Now, did God know what was in his heart already? Yes. So why did he ask him to do it? Because God wants to see, and he wants everybody else to know, you and I, when we read the story, that this is how much Abraham feared God, more than Isaac, more than loving and keeping Isaac. Abraham had an outside fear of God and an inside fear of God because not even Isaac was as important to him as God. So when you fear God, here's what will happen. You will treasure God. When you fear God, you will value him supremely. And that is exactly what Job did as well. 
Job blessed God in his worst case, or maybe I should say worst curse scenario. He didn't blame God. He blessed God. And all this, end of chapter 1, end of chapter 2, and all this, Job did not sin, nor did he charge God with wrong. Do you understand? That's the fear of God. He didn't blame God, get angry with God. You know what he did? He fell on his face and worshipped God. That's wisdom's response to suffering. That's wisdom's response to a worst case scenario. It wasn't God plus, it was God period. You know what you need in your worst case scenario today? You need to get wisdom and put that tool in your survival kit. So that you'll be able to say, not God plus a job, not God plus a bonus, not God plus a raise, then I'll worship him. Not God plus a spouse if you're single. Not God plus good health if you're sick. Not God plus a baby if you don't have any children. Not God plus a better marriage. Not God plus a godly child. Not God plus a church where they do all the things you like. No, not God plus. God, period. See, that's what Job had. And you know where he got that? Because he, cho- he chose the wisdom of God. That's what he did in his trials because he feared God outside and inside. And the question you have to ask as we finish today is this. Whose wisdom will you use? Let's pray. With every head bowed and every eye closed, perhaps you're here today and you'd say, Pastor Walker, I'm facing some pretty difficult worst-case scenarios. I don't, I've been bitten by the snake. I don't know why. I'm not sure what all the purposes in this are. And you've been tempted to blame God. But you say, Pastor Walker, I realize I should be fearing God, worshiping him. Blessing his name. See, I've been able to say the Lord gives. And if the Lord gives, I'm so happy to worship him. But you add that second part after the conjunction and he takes away. I haven't handled that one too well. And I want to come to the place in my life. Would you pray for me, Pastor Walker? That not God plus, but God period. Just because he's God. I fear him. I want to obey his word. I want to value him supremely in the affections of my heart. As a Christian, I'm really struggling with that today. I know I ought to be there. And the fear of God, it may be somewhat on the outside, but it's definitely lacking on the inside or maybe both. (coughs) Pastor Walker, with every head bowed, would you pray for me? Just slip your hand up and I'll do that as a Christian today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else? Thank you. You might be here this morning and you say, Pastor Walker, listen, my worst case scenario, I'm struggling. And the reason I realize I'm struggling today for the first time, the first time I've come to, you know what? Because I don't really know God. Oh, I know about him. I know the facts. I'm here at church. Can I tell you this? The fear of God means you have a relationship with him. And if you've never had a relationship with him, 
by putting your faith and trust in his son, Jesus. He died on the cross for your sins and rose again for your justification. If you've never repented of your sins and turned to him by faith and called on him to be your Lord and Savior, if you've never done that, you can today. You can pray, Father, I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. And Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection is my only hope. See, and you can bow to his grace and mercy and to his lordship, and you can know King Jesus is the only one who forgives. And if you've never come to put your faith in him like that, that's where wisdom begins. And you might be saying, Pastor Walker, I need to begin a relationship with him today. Would you just slip your hand up as every head bowed, and I'll pray for you as well as we close. All over the auditorium, I need to put my faith and trust in Jesus. Thank you. Anyone else? Anyone else while we wait? We're going to have a prayer and then an invitation, and we're going to sing, It is well with my soul. If it's not, would you come? If you raise your hand, I need to know Jesus. Would you come? We'll take the Bible and have someone show you how today you can start fearing God and have a relationship with his son. Maybe you need to come and let someone pray for you. Our pastors can be down and pray with you over how you're going to fear God and value him supremely in your difficulty. Would you let us help you? Father, thank you for being so great. Awesome. I pray that your people would learn to fear you inside and out. I pray for those who struggle with that as Christians. Father, may they humbly admit that they need your grace. May we be able to pray with them and encourage them today as they start down a new path. Father, for the one who raised her hand indicating that she needs you to start that relationship so that she can begin to know wisdom. God, Father, I pray that you give her the courage to come and let us open the scriptures that we might also open her heart to you. And we'll thank you for these rich blessings in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen.